0: Section number 10 of Essays on Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays on Art by Johann Wolfgang von Gothe, translated by Samuel Gray Ward, section number 10. My brother-in-law was a well-looking man of prudent conduct in the affairs of life. His talent satisfied my father, his love my sister, his friendliness attached me and the rest of the household. During the summer he traveled and always came back well-paid for his labors. The winters he devoted to his family, he painted his wife and daughters usually twice in the year. The fidelity, bordering on deception, with which he represented even the merest trifles, caused my father to fall upon a singular idea, the execution of which I must describe to you. The picture itself, as will presently appear, is no longer in existence. Otherwise, I should have shown it to you. In the upper chamber, the last one of the range, where the best portraits hang, you may have noticed a door which seems to lead further on. But in fact, it is a blind door. And when it was opened, the spectator encountered a scene more surprising than agreeable. My father, with my mother on his arm, seemed to be stepping forward to meet you and startled you by the reality of the representation, which was affected partly by the surrounding objects, partly by the art of the painter. He was represented as if returning home from a dinner party, dressed as was his wont on such occasions. The picture was painted with the greatest care, on the spot and for that particular place. The figures from a certain point of view were perfectly in perspective, and the effect of the dresses must carefully worked up. A window had to be displaced in order that the light might fall properly from the side so that nothing should break the illusion. It was the unfortunate destiny of this work, which had thus been made to approach as near as possible to reality to share the fate of its originals. The frame with the canvas was set into the casing of the door, and thus exposed to the influence of a damp wall, the effect of which was increased by the air being excluded by the door, and at the end of a hard winter, during which the room had not been opened, father and mother were found to be utterly destroyed, which was the more to be deplored as they were no longer living. I must go back a little in order to speak of the last satisfaction my father enjoyed during his life. After his idea had been wrought out in this picture, it seemed as if art had no farther gratification in store for him. Yet one was still vouchers fed for him. An artist was announced who undertook to mold likeness in plaster upon the face, and afterwards to copy them in wax with the colors of life. The likeness of a young assistant he had with him bore witness to his talent, and my father determined to submit to the operation. The experiment was successful. The artist elaborated the face and hands with the greatest care and truth. A real wig, a damask dressing gown, were appropriated to the phantom, and there sits the good old man yet, behind a curtain, which I had not the courage to withdraw for you. After the death of the old people, we did not long remain together. My sister died, still young and beautiful. Her husband painted her in her coffin. His grief at her loss would never permit him to paint his daughters, who, as they grew up, seemed to inherit their mother's beauty, as if divided into two portions. He often made little pictures in still life of the various articles that had belonged to her and which he had carefully preserved, He worked them up with the greatest care and presented them to the friends he had made during his travels. It seemed as if his grief raised him to the ideal, for previously he had only represented present objects. These little mute pictures were not wanting either in keeping or expression. In one, the objects grouped together showed the pious spirit of their possessor, a hymn book with red cover and golden studs, a pretty embroidered purse with strings and tassels that she used to dispense her charities from the goblet from which before her death she partook the sacrament and which he had procured by presenting a better to the church in another picture was a loaf and beside it the knife she used to cut slices with for the children the little seed-box from which she sowed seeds in the spring a calendar where she set down her expenditures and any little occurrences a glass goblet with her initials cut upon it a youthful gift from her grandfather that in spite of its fragility had outlasted its owner he recommended his journeys and his usual course of life skillful only to see the present and by the present always reminded of his irreparable loss his spirit could not recover its tone a sort of incomprehensible longing seemed often to take possession of him, and the last still life that he painted consisted of objects which had belonged to her, and which, curiously chosen and grouped, hinted at transistoriness and separation, at permanence and reunion. We found him several times before this picture, pausing and reflecting contrary to his wont, moved and agitated, and you must pardon me if i here break off short for to-day to recover my composure which this recollection which i dare no longer indulge in has unexpectedly disturbed yet my letter must not go to you with so sorrowful an ending and i give the pen to my julia to say to you my uncle gives me the pen with the injunction to give a graceful turn to the expression of his devotedness to you he continues true to that custom of the good old time when it was the fashion to close a letter to part from one's friend with a well-bred bow we young people have never learnt it such a formality does not seem just natural nor hearty enough we cannot get beyond a farewell and in an imaginary pressure of hand what is to be done now to fulfil this commission this injunction of my uncle as beseems an obedient niece cannot i stumble upon some graceful turn and will it be graceful enough if i assure you that the nieces are no less your devoted than the uncle he has forbidden me to read his last sheet i wonder what good or ill he has been saying of me perhaps it is only my vanity makes me think he had made any mention of me it is enough that he has let me read the first page of his letter and there i find he has been decrying our good philosopher to you it is neither pretty nor proper of my uncle to take so severely to task a young man who has so high a love and respect both for him and you merely because he so earnestly pursues a path which he thinks will tend to his improvement be candid with me now and say if you do not think that we women often see clearer than men for the reason that we are not so one-sided and concede to everyone what belongs to him In fact, the young man is courteous and companionable. Sometimes he talks to me, and though I do not understand his philosophy, methinks I understand the philosopher. Yet, after all, perhaps he is indebted to you for the good opinion I have of him, since the roll of engravings which he brought from you, accompanied by your friendly message, secured him the best reception. I am somewhat puzzled how to express my thanks for your remembrance and your goodness, inasmuch as there seems to me to be a little wickedness concealed under your gift. Did you mean to mock your handmaiden by sending these elfin air shapes, these strange forms of fairies and spirits, from the hand of my friend Fuselli? How can your poor Julia help it if she is charmed by the strange and wild, if she delights to see representations of the wonderful, and if it is a pleasure to her to see these dreams that seems to follow on and move through one another fixed upon paper? Nevertheless, you have procured me a great pleasure though i am aware that with a second uncle comes a second rod as if the first did not give me enough to do for he can never let the children alone without enlightening them on the subject of their own likes and dislikes against this dictation my sister makes better stand than i for she never suffers herself to be opposed and the love of art in some shape being in our family a matter of course Her preference is for the agreeable and graceful, such forms as we would be glad always to have around us. Her lover, for the affair which was in a state of uncertainty at the time of your journey is now settled, has sent her from England some splendid color prints that delight her beyond measure. But to be sure, what a set of tall figures all clad in white with ribbons of pale red and veils of pale blue— what interesting mothers with well-fed children and personable fathers when they are all nicely framed in glass and mahogany adorned with the brass rods which came with the prince and hung on a lilac ground in my young lady's cabinet then indeed i shall not dare to bring Titania and her fairy court and their charge the metamorphosed nick bottom into such company Now this looks as if I meant to criticize my sister, and in fact there is no better way to be satisfied with one's self than to be a little intolerant of others. And now, at last, I have finished this sheet, and find myself unexpectedly so near the end of the paper that there is only room for the tenth day of March, and the name of your true friend who bids you hearty farewell, Julia. End of section 10